That should have woke you all up, right? Time to dance. Uh, yeah, it's time to celebrate. It's perfect music for that. Hey, grab your Bibles. Turn to the, um, the book of Galatians. In the New Testament, Galatians is going to be uh, in the middle of the New Testament. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. If you don't have a Bible, down the center row of a uh, column of seats, there are Bibles there stacked on top of each other, and you're welcome to use one of those. Uh, actually, if you don't have a Bible, you can take that with you. Galatians is going to be on page 633 in this in this ESV Bible there, and you're, willing, uh, you're more than welcome to have that and definitely use it. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. Uh, we're going to read these verses together as we start today. Everybody ready? Y'all, gonna, y'all just looking up, waiting for it to come up on the screen. Check it out. <laughs> We're creatures of habit, aren't we? Galatians chapter 5, verse 16 through 25. Let's read together. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Verse 25, if we live by the Spirit... Let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, it's a special day. It's a day that we are commemorating uh, the launch of our church. And as I reflect and think back on the the journey that we have taken uh, as individuals and then collectively as a church, Lord, we can't help but uh, be grateful, to be thankful for all that you have done in our individual lives, but also what you have done and are doing in our church. Uh, Where there was no church here in this part of Kingstown, definitely in this school, there is now. We thank you for your presence and uh, your leadership of our church. Jesus, we acknowledge that you are the the chief shepherd of our flock. Uh, It really is all about you. We're going to talk about that today. Uh, We pray that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts to what it means to make you Lord and to follow you all the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. So if, if you're new or with us, uh, haven't been with us for, uh, for a while, then we have been in a series in the Gospel of John. And because today is the day that we're commemorating uh, the anniversary of our church, I guess we uh, are two years old now, uh, we're going to pause for two weeks and I endeavor to just remind us of, of why we're here, why, you know, why we're in this room as individuals, as Christians, why we're here as the church, as transit church. And I specifically want to talk about um, the vision of our church. And so we're going to do that over over two weeks. You know, I think um, birthdays, anniversaries, all those things in our lives and in the, the life of organizations uh, are meant to be nostalgic. And and things that are nostalgic almost force you to stop in your tracks and look back, to look back over the journey. And so we're going to, we're gonna, not necessarily going to do that today. Um, although, uh, if, if you want to see some, some journey pictures, go on the, go on the website and, and there's some, uh, some videos and uh, our Facebook page has some pictures uh, of us and, and some of y'all are in them, but most of y'all aren't which is this, uh, you know, the transient nature of our church. But when you're being nostalgic, you also have the opportunity uh, to, to reflect. And reflect means that you're looking at the journey, but in our regard, uh, we want to see what God has done, you know, and, and that's the neat thing about churches. Matthew 16 says that 
Jesus builds his church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Now, churches have life cycles. There are churches that started years ago that don't exist now. It doesn't mean that our church is going to exist forever, but it does. It's important to acknowledge that Jesus is the one that builds his church. It's, it's his church. It really is all about him. And part of our celebration today is an acknowledgement of all that Jesus has done and, and will do. We're thanking God for his faithfulness to us individually and collectively when we come together as a church. And anytime you be, uh, you're nostalgic, you also get an opportunity to look, look ahead. And that really is where my focus will be, uh, to look ahead to, uh, to what God has called us to as we press forward to be that thing that he wants us to be as a church. So here's our vision. It's, it's four words, transform lives, impact the communities. We're going to talk about transform lives today. And then we're gonna. Uh, I'm gonna unpack what it means to be to, to impact the community um, next week. Um, in regards to transform lives, the very heart of who I think we're supposed to be as a church um, involves gospel identity. I'm gonna explain what the Bible says about the gospel here in a couple of minutes. But in the in regard to having transformed lives, the the question that I'm Asking and then answering today really is what does it mean for us to organize our lives so that Jesus is the source of our identity, who we are at the core, what we think, how we act, the life that we live out, gospel identity. What does it mean to organize your life so that Jesus has chief significance, chief, yeah, I mean, he is. Your your very purpose, your meaning is derived from who he is in your life. What When you live a transformed life, that's the life that you're living out. And because we individually figure that out and then collectively bring it together, I, what I'm proposing here is, is if you live a transformed life, then we can both individually, but more importantly, collectively, impact our community. We can we can change the world. And I think that is what God has called us to. Um, when we talk about transformed lives, we're asking one important question. How do you change? H- how do you change? Not not change your clothes, not change your hair, hairstyle, not change from uh, being 40 pounds overweight to uh, a lesser. I'm not 40 pounds overweight. I am 15, though. I ran for the first time. This is an aside. This is not part of my sermon. I ran... <laughs> I ran for the first time in four months last Monday because I hurt my back doing something stupid. And uh, my physical therapist wouldn't let me run until last Monday. And, oh, it hurt like H-E double hockey sticks. It was like, oh, my gosh, I need to run more often. Um, I'm not talking about change like that. I'm talking about change that happens from the, the depth deep within you. That really is the change that, that God wants to get at. Secularly, I think in the, in the outside, outside of the church, Uh, When we're talking about change, really, people say, I mean, how can I experience freedom? How can I be free from all that stuff that like got got me in knots, that ties ties me down? Uh, And here's the problem with that. Um, When it comes to how you change, how your life changes, there's a lot of ways we can come about it. There's actually in the Bible, there's a lot of ways that we can approach change in our life. But the big problem is everybody has an opinion. Um, some people think you should do this. Some people think you should do that in regards to to change. But I think the, the big idea of change and freedom in our lives, transforming our lives to be all that God would want us to be, boils down to two philosophies of thought. The first is some people think they don't have to change. They're like, it's, it's my life. I'm the captain of my own ship. Um, I'm going to do what I want to do. Why would I change? If, if you don't like me, you don't have to accept me. That's one philosophy. The other side of the coin is are those that that would say, um, be good, just be good. And there are a few of you all in here, I think, that think like that. There's obviously both of those streams are in this room right now, but I'm particularly talking about those that would say, just be good. If you say that, what you're doing is you're following rules and and you're you're thinking of I can will myself to change my life. And if I'm good in this way, then freedom is going to come about. I'm going to be all that I'm supposed to be. Um, we are taught as Christians oftentimes that 
Christianity is all about being good. When someone sees me, they see me smiling. They see my life in order. I'm, they think I'm good. And I'm, I'm going to release some pressure for most of you here. That's not, Christi- that's not Christianity. Christianity is not about you being good. It, Christianity, thank God, is more nuanced than that. In fact, our text today was written by the Apostle Paul, and he's attacking this philosophy that Christianity is this thing about about being good, that you have to follow a bunch of rules in order to be accepted by God. We can't survey all of all of Galatians to, you know, to see Paul's argument unfold. But I am going to go back and read a couple of passages. Actually, the reason why we're in Galatians today is when we started our church, the very first um, book of the Bible that we studied together was the book of of Galatians. And so some of you, only a few of you were here. So it's cool that I'm I'm saying stuff that I've already said before because y'all don't even remember it. And even if you were here, the few of you that were here, you don't remember it either. Because when I was studying, I didn't remember it. All right. So check it out. Galatians chapter one, verse six through eight. I'm going to read these verses for us. I am astounded that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you. And want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And so Paul is saying if anyone distorts the gospel that he preached, then uh, they can go to H.E. Double Hockey State. They can go to, you know, hell. Paul is using some strong language here. And there's a lot in that, but... Uh, what I want to extract from it is, is Paul's talking about a message that he didn't make up, but that was given to him that he received and he had the burden of spreading throughout the, the known world at that time. And that message was the gospel. Gospel means good news. And we could talk about I endeavor every week that we come to church and gather to talk about the gospel um, because the gospel is is what what saves you. It's what grows you. Uh, here's an easy way to remember the gospel. The gospel is basically Jesus in my place. Say that Jesus in my place. One of the ways that I demonstrate this is, you know, I I learned as a kid. Christ died in my place. That was that was hard to do. Christ died in my, you know, Christ, Christ died for my sins. There you go. And then he was raised. See that Christ died for my sins. Five fingers. And then he was raised. That is that is the gospel. And so the the message of the gospel is is the good news that God loves me enough to send his son from eternity into my world to live as a man and by God's plan, die on a cross for my sin. Jesus lived a life that I should have lived a perfect life. And he died a death that I deserve because of my wrongdoing, because of my sin. There's this huge chasm ever since sin entered the world through Adam and Eve that we read about in Genesis chapter one. And there's no man that could pay enough money or be good enough to reach God by anything that we do. And so God sends Jesus to bridge the gap. To make a way for us not to be good, he's good for us. You can't be good. Even on your best day, you're not good enough to measure the perfection that God requires you to have. But when you trust in Jesus, he gifts you with his own righteousness, righteousness and he, he's good for you. That's good news. Uh, I would love to talk more about that. Flip right three, three, uh, three chapters. We're going to read a little bit from chapter five real quick. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You're severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law. You've fallen away from grace, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. 
For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. And then skip down to verse 12. This, this is one of the nastiest verses in the whole Bible. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. And every man is like crossing his legs saying, ouch. So, uh, again, we hear strong language from Paul, and he's intently doing this. Uh, one of the rules the false teachers said had to be obeyed was, was circumcision. Circumcision is, is it's like not even talked about nowadays. Um, the number of people that get certain number of males that get circumcised is decreasing worldwide, especially in the United States. Some, you know, the, the Jews got circumcised because in the Old Testament, God said, do it to become a part of God's covenant people. You're in the in group. You're part of the people of God. If you were male, got circumcised on the eighth day of your life, that, that branded you as a Hebrew, as Jewish, and it was your acceptance with God. There is no other nation on the earth like Israel was. There's no theocracy that exists today. And so that really isn't a rule to be accepted by God anymore. And that really is Paul's argument here. That There was a cultural issue in the first century, and, and it had ended. And so... Paul is hot and bothered here. He's angry because what, what's at stake. Uh, these false teachers were confusing people who, who honestly wanted to find God and grow in God. These are Gentile, Christian, Gentile Christians in, in the, the church at Galatia, and they're just like you and I. They weren't Jewish, and they're trying to find you know, God through Jesus, and they're being told by some zealous Jews that, hey, you can be a Christian, but you got to be circumcised. And Paul is going, it's like, no, you don't. That's the wrong message. He's saying you don't have to be, you don't have to follow a bunch of rules just to have relationship with God. Paul was saying you're spouting very harmful, uh, a very harmful message that's going to distort the message that I received, the gospel. But more than that, it's going to ruin these people and their faith. And so the false teachers had a formula. And this is what the formula looked like. Belief Plus obedience equals acceptance. Here's the interesting thing. They weren't saying don't believe in Jesus. They were Jews that believed in Jesus. The only thing about these, uh, these false teachers were they were clinging on to the Mosaic law. So they were saying you got you to gotta do the moral law. You got to do some of the, the ceremonial law. You definitely have to get circumcised. And if you do that, you're accepted. God will love you. God will bless you. You're going to go to heaven. And so Paul hears this. He writes them a letter and says, check it out. I was just like you. I didn't believe in Jesus, but I was all about the moral law. And I was doing my thing and I met Jesus on a road and he knocked me down. And he said, stop saying that. I got a new message for you. So I'm here to tell you, your formula is wrong. This is the new formula. Belief equals acceptance. Believe in Jesus if you truly trust in the person and the work of Jesus that he sent from God, lived a perfect life, died in your place uh, on the cross for your sin. Then God accepts you, not because of what you've done. God accepts you because of Jesus. That's good news. And and if you if you truly believe in Jesus and God accepts you, guess what? You're going to want to obey. Your obedience is in the wrong place. It doesn't come before being accepted. It comes as a result of being accepted. Once you believe in Jesus and trust him as your savior, then you're in. There's nothing else you have to do for God to love you and accept you and for you to experience eternal life through him. You don't have you don't have to work for your acceptance. You work from it. You don't obey for your acceptance, but because you're already accepted. And of course, these are these are nuanced. There are two different paradigms. There's two there's two different ways of looking at following hard after God, but they create two different people. One feels like they can't if if they aren't being perfect and working for God and other people even to love them, then they won't be loved. And the other is is chilled back, laid out, not perfect and getting a whole bunch of stuff wrong, 
but they know their love, not because of what they've done, because they've, they believe in the love of another that did what they couldn't do for them. Theologically, I'm, I'm giving you guys some theology. I don't know if you understand that. Theologically, what I'm talking about is justification. 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 Um, one of the popular contemporary theologians is a guy by the name of Wayne Grudem. Um, and Wayne Grudem in his systematic theology says this about justification. Justification is an instantaneous legal act of God whereby God pronounces upon us a righteousness that's not our own because of two things. Firstly, God thinks of our sins as forgiven and Christ's righteousness as belonging to us. Secondly, God declares us to be righteous in his sight. And so this is what this looks like. God looks at us and when he sees us, even even when we're sinful, he sees Jesus. That's that Jesus in my place. Christ died for my sin and was and was raised. Jesus in my place. That good news for me is is what justification is all about. Um, I, I have some friends that that I've explained justification to and they and they've pushed back. I mean, say, well, Jeff, I'm listening to you. And if I really believed you, what you're saying is if. If I just believe in Jesus and, and try to follow him a little bit, then I can do whatever I want. I mean, I can just like have a good time. And and, you know, I look back at the person. I said, you know what? I said, if, if you if we would truly understand the graciousness of God's grace, how generous he actually is to us, then then, yes, you can do anything you want. Paul says in Galatians 5, it was for freedom that I set you free. What does freedom look like? It's, it's a freedom that Christ gives us. And it really is an opportunity to be free in him. But Paul also talked to the jacked up church at Corinth. He said, I shouldn't have said it like that, but that they were, they were messed up. He said, you know what? All things are permissible. You can do whatever you want. But, but but everything isn't beneficial for you. That means everything is not going to turn out right if, if you do it. But here's the here's the beauty of justification. When you truly believe in Jesus, God gives you his Holy Spirit. You're accepted by God. This this beautiful thing happens. You start wanting to do what God says to do. You it, it just comes on you. You want to be obedient to God. Justification begins a process of freedom where you're free from being a slave to your own sin and doing whatever you want. And you're set on this path where your desires change and you literally want to do what God wants you to do. It's not a have to. It's a get to. And it becomes a want to. Justification begins this process. And it's another theological word called sanctification. Sanctification, uh, according to Wayne Grudem, is a process, a progressive work of God. And man that makes us more and more free from sin and like Christ in our actual lives. I, I like what uh, uh, a British theologian, Tony Lane, says in regards to, to justification and sanctification. He sort of puts them up against each other and helps us understand how these two things work to bring us to faith, save us, make us, you know, in, you know, in with God, but also change us. Firstly, he says, justification refers to my status. It's a legal status God declares on me when I trust in Jesus. Sanctification requires to, to my state. Justification is about God's attitude to, to me changing. Sanctification is about God changing me. Justification is about how God looks on me. Sanctification is about what he does in me. Justification is about Christ dying for my sins on the cross. Sanctification is about Christ at work in me by the Holy Spirit changing my life. Y'all see the how those two work together? Here's here's the thing. They go together. You can't it's like it's like these pants. If I would if I would rip the pants at the seam and then put one on one leg and put one on the other, those aren't pants. I don't know what those are, but they're not pants anymore. They're like just coverings from for my leg. Justification and sanctification are like a pair of trousers. 
you know, come on, I, I don't know how to explain it. You know, you got to put them on together and pants are pants. You don't you don't tear them at the seam and wear them on separate legs. So the, the false teachers that wasn't I wasn't trying to be funny. The, the <laughs> false teachers in Galatia were what they were doing was I mean, they were trying to get the Galatian Christians to base their relationship with God on their performance instead of Jesus performance. And that's a false gospel. And if you believe that, it'll put you in bondage. And that will cause you to be a very miserable person because you you're always trying, always trying to work it out. You're always trying to be good, to do good when you can't be. You're, it's like a, a, a rat and a, a hamster in, in, in his little spinning ball trying to get somewhere that he's never going to get to. And that's why Paul said, if you keep preaching this, then they should be accursed. They should really go to hell. Why? Because you'll hurt. They'll hurt people. False teachers spreading this false gospel will hurt people. And perhaps you are in this room and you've lived a life of rules or you've gone to church and you've lived uh, through a, 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 a religious experience that gave you a bunch of of rules and and, and you're trying to break out of that even now, and you've been hurt by that. I, I would tell you, we live in America, and, and here's the problem with living in America, is even if it doesn't come from a religious perspective, we, we hear this stuff all the time. In fact, I'm a culprit of it. Every, every one of you that, that are parents are culprits of this. Uh, to, to get good grades, you got to work hard. If you want to get a raise, you got to work hard in, in your job. Don't, I mean, we, we, we've bought into this American culture that to get what you want, you got to work for it. And I would tell you, that's absolutely true. You'd be a fool not to know that you have to work a little bit. But this is what we do. Um, we bring that into our Christianity. We bring that into our relationship with God, and we think that we have to work for God to love us. And that is a false gospel. And that'll put you in bondage. So here's uh, just to recap, Paul's main point. It's not belief plus obedience equals acceptance. Rather, it's belief equals acceptance. Trust in Jesus. Have faith in Jesus. You're in with God. He loves you because of not what you do, but what Jesus has done for you. When you really get that, you're going to want to do what God wants you to do. And that's what Paul is getting at in Galatians 5. That's why we're reading Galatians chapter 5. Paul is unpacking this idea, refuting the false teachers, and trying to help them understand what right looks like. It's, it's not what you do. It's what Jesus has done. If you trust in him, you're credited with something that you haven't even done. That's good news. And so let's look at our past, all that, all that to get to our passage. All right. I only got a couple things to say about this. Um, chapter, chapter five, verse 16, 18 and 25. Verse 16. But I say, walk by the spirit and you'll not gratify the desires of the flesh. Verse, uh, verse 18. But if you're led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Verse 25, if we live by the spirit, let us also keep in step with the spirit. Uh, Paul is talking metaphorically here. All right. These are all metaphors. Walk by the spirit, be led by the spirit, um, live by the spirit, keep in step with this with the spirit. The whole point of the metaphor is, is simply this. God when you receive Jesus, he gives you the Holy Spirit. God is working in your life. He's around your life. He's internally in your life. And by his spirit, he's literally leading you and slowly transforming you. Once justification happens, God is at work from the inside out. Um, now, the metaphor, as you uh, recall from our, our previous reading of it, centers on fruit. OK, any of y'all eat fruit here? OK, so we got to think about fruit, how fruit grows um, and how it exists in, in our culture because it hadn't changed. Um, our fruit isn't any different than the fruit that they had during the, the first century uh, of the world. And Paul says he's going to use a fruit metaphor to help us understand how we can change. Sure, and, and really what he's doing is he's, he's putting some common sense to, you know, we want, we're, we're a microwave society nowadays. And we, we want to blink our eye and have all our issues go away. We want to 
We want to go on one run, one mile, and lose 10 pounds. That, that's, that's how I am. Um, we want to go to the gym and lift, you know, 45 pounds and, and you know, be like the Hulk. I mean, that's, that's the society that we live in. And Paul is saying very simply, that ain't how it works. That ain't, that's just not how it works. Verse 17. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. This is a, this is a hard scripture to read. OK, but there are true words here for all of us. And Paul is firstly saying here in regards to fruit. God grows us, but fruit grows painfully. There's a conflict in us and the, the conflict starts Actually, when you become a Christian, fruit grows painfully. Uh, there's another letter that Paul wrote, uh, Romans 7, and Paul says these, these crazy words. He says, I don't, I don't understand my own actions. I find myself doing wrong even when in my heart I want to do right. Have you ever felt like that? I mean, with all this in you, I, mean, I, I just I want to follow God. I don't want to do bad things. I want to get it right. And, then, and, you know, you wake up the next morning and what do you do? You do the thing that you didn't want to do. You do the thing God says not to do. Frustration, pain, conflict. Um, and Paul is meaning Galatians 5 to be encouraging. He's meaning Romans 7 to be encouraging. Obviously, if if Paul, the, you know, one of the the I mean, the heroes of the Bible wrote half of it. Um, experienced frustration, pain, and conflict in his own soul as as a believer, then we're going to experience that too. As a Christian, there will be times of doubt, dryness, lack of desire, struggle, because we are literally in a civil war. Literally in a civil war. I mean, I mean we all have lived it. Have you thought, I mean, I hate my life. I just, I want to do right. I'm frustrated. How do I change? How how can I have God's heart and not do all those things that, that I don't want to do? And I, I would tell you, and I don't say this lightly, just welcome to Christianity. That, that really is the, the life that you're living because you've been pulled out of a, a world where the Holy Spirit didn't exist with you. And so, I mean, remember, for those of you that are Christians here, remember when you did not have Christ and you didn't have any conflict sinning? It's like, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to have some fun. You wake up the next day and you do it all over again. And then something happens. You know, Jesus came into your life and you're following Jesus and all these conflicts are coming up. It's like, I, I want to go out. And have, you know, I want to go do what I want to do. But I mean, you have difficulty doing it. It gets in your mind. It gets in your heart. Why is that? It's, perhaps I don't know your heart. I don't know your struggle. Perhaps you are experiencing the conflict that comes when you trust in Jesus, there was these two. There were these, there were these two. Uh, There's this family that lived on the border of the the Mason-Dixon line. Their 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 property straddled the line. So the Civil War breaks out, and they have a conundrum. They have two sons, um, and they don't know which side to serve on. And so one son puts on uh, a Union uniform, uh, blue coat, but he puts on gray pants. The other son puts on a Confederate uniform, Confederate top, blue pants. Guess what happens? They both got shot by opposite sides. That that is the war that you're in. That's the civil war within your own soul. Fruit grows painfully. Uh, I didn't resolve that one too good, but I'll, we'll get through it. Fruit grows symmetrically. Verse 22. The, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. In verse 23, self-control. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not an English major. I have problems enough just speaking English. However, there's a there's a grammatical issue here. There is a singular noun and verb. There is a plural predicate. Paul says the fruit of the spirit is. He's talking. He seems to to be mixing. Um, his his grammar here because he gives us a predicate. All these fruits that are listed, uh, but he only says one one fruit. Um, what I mean, what's going on? What he's trying to point out here is that fruit grow symmetrically. They grow all together. You ever seen uh, a vine and you got one grape by itself? If you've seen that, something was wrong with that vine. 
It's not supposed to be like that. Fruit grow together. And I would argue that if you see a like a grapevine and and they're not growing symmetrically, something is wrong. It's the same in our lives. The character that God is trying to build, like the fruit of the spirit, they grow together. They're supposed to grow together. And so when you have uh, when you're a very gentle person, but you have no patience with other people, then there's a conflict. And likely one of those is because God has gifted you with a very gentle, meek, possibly even kind personality. But you don't have the supernatural gift from God to to be that when you come against someone that rubs you the wrong way. And I think that that we have to keep that in mind. And so practically, this means All of these are supernatural qualities and they work together. Love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self. They're all intended to work together. And when you don't have a lot of one, you really don't have a lot of the other. And if it even appears that you have a lot of it, it's because your personality has lent. God has given you a personality that lends to that. Practically, um, if you can't be patient in difficult circumstances if you don't have God's peace. If you can't really love difficult people if you don't have supernatural joy. It means you can't consistently be kind to the people that you don't feel like being kind to without otherworldly goodness. They have to all grow together. Otherwise, it's just your personality kicking in and you're cheating. Paul in Ephesians 5 gives us another look at this at the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians 5:17, he says, "Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the the Holy Spirit." And really, what he's saying here in Galatians is kind of sort of the same thing. He's saying, "Live by, walk by, keep in step with the Spirit." He's talking about being under the influence of the Holy Spirit because when you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, the, the Holy Spirit has all of you. When you're under the influence of the Holy Spirit, you look like Jesus, who was full of the Spirit. Jesus had all this stuff. He had love and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness. And you saw all of them working together, regardless of the people he was dealing with, regardless of his circumstance. Now, this, this is the thing we do. We see people and it looks like they got it all together. And I mean, this is what I do. I was like, so this is the truth. I only got like three of these. <laughs> I, I got some I got some real good peace. Uh, I have patience in some really difficult, difficult circumstances. Uh, I'm, I'm faithful. I'm, I'm faithfulness. Faithfulness means more than just, you know, having faith. Faithfulness means conviction and boldness, uh, those kinds of things. But you know what? Check it out. Um, I struggle with joy sometimes. Um. I, I'm, I'm self-control. I got that gentleness. Mm, I don't know if I got that one either. And, and here's the deal. You are the weakest link, which whichever one of these is your weakest link. That's the level that your character is. That's it. Tim Keller says. Tim Keller says we don't measure ourselves in accordance with whatever our highest personality trait or whichever one of these fruit of the spirit you're doing the best. Your standard is Jesus who had all of them. And moreover, you measure yourself at wherever you are in this category of 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 character at the weakest one. That that's where you are. That's where God is building from. Fruit grows symmetrically. Um, thirdly, I don't know if it's thirdly or fourthly, uh, fourthly, fruit grows internally. Verse 23. At the end of all these fruit of the spirit, Paul says, against such things, there is no law. And I, I've said it before, fruit is a metaphor for character. And, and here's his point. You can't legislate character. You, you can't legislate it. You can't make uh, rules and laws about joy and peace and, and patience for yourself, nor for other people. But I mean, th- when you think about it, wouldn't it be nice if we could? Wouldn't it be nice if if someone was 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 harassing us at school, or if there was a jerk at work? There would be like this this character police, and you like, are you the police officer that that uh, that comes when we have 
problems with people and we need to legislate, make rules for people who aren't doing what we need them to do in relationship. And they come and just swoop those people away and take them and put them in a place where no one can, they can't get out. That, that's not what happens. You cannot make rules for yourself or other people that would make it, that, that would make your character what it's, what it's not. And here's the deal. The law deals with externals as a result of our sin. The law can't change you. You can't give yourself a bunch of laws and expect that they're going to change you over time. They might keep you in offense. They might help you modify your behavior for a short amount of time, but they cannot, will not, never will change you. Think about the laws of our land. We can create laws that discourage theft. If you steal something, you're likely going to go to jail and you're going to stay in jail commensurate to what you stole. But does that change you? Not always. No, in fact, it doesn't. We have laws in our land that discourage people from murdering. And if you murder, you're likely going to get a life sentence. And in some states, you're going to get the death penalty. But that does not necessarily change you from the inside out. We have laws in our land against that discourage rape. And if you commit the crime of rape, then you're going to get some jail time. You're probably going to end up on the, uh, the registered sex offender list. In some countries, you get castrated. But I would tell you, it doesn't change a person on the inside. And so laws can discourage, but they can't identify and deal with all the stuff that's at the root of why we do these things in the first place. Laws can only modify our behavior. They can't change us from the inside out. And so here's the question for us. How do we change? How, how do we change? I'm going to get to that. Lastly, fruit grows gradually. Verse 19 and 21. But if you're led by the Spirit, now that's verse 18. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like, like these. I warn you, as I warned before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you ever wonder what sin looks like, this is the list. I was, uh, I traveled, my, my West Point roommate uh, got promoted to one star two days ago, and uh, my, one of my other roommates lived in Maryland, came down. We had a great conversation all the way down and all the way back up from Fort Bragg. And we had a discussion about sin. My, my, uh, my roommate, he's Catholic. Uh, I don't know if, I don't think he's an actual Christian, but he understands religion. And we had the very heady conversations. And, uh, and he kept saying, you know what? I just, I, how do we know when something's a sin? You ever struggle with, with, you know, with whether something's a sin or not? You can come to this list and say, well, this is what the Bible says. It gives you a whole bunch of sins. These aren't all of them, but but here are some. And so here's here's the thing. We could take a couple of these and just un unpack them out in regards to how, you know, how they work and all that. But I'll, I'll just make my point short. Every sin that you commit in your life from beginning to the ones you're committing now, there's a process. Uh, you don't find this anywhere except on HBO or Cinemax or all those kind of kind of shows where someone just walks up to someone they don't know and just becomes sexually immoral right there on the spot. That doesn't happen. It usually has a process. Uh, if you have problems with anger, like, like you have fits of anger, you punching holes in walls, just blowing up on people. That even has a process. It started somewhere. There's a root to it, and it has developed into whatever it is right now. And so sin has a process. It's the same thing with growth and change. It has a process. You know, growth is so hard to see that, that unless you're just like staring at it, you know, through the course of its life, you're, you're going to miss it. That's how growth happens in our life. Um, you ever like sat back and tried to watch a grass grow? Anybody? Please say no. Because if, if you if you like sat in your yard like with your beverage and in a lawn chair watching your grass grow, I've got positions in the kids ministry for you that require that kind of kindness and patience. And Eric, Eric, cut your hands. Amen, brother. 
Check it out. So Larissa and I went to New York City last weekend celebrating our 20th wedding anniversary. Yep, yep, yep. Um, we left and um, there was nothing blooming in our yard. And we came back and there's a little bit of rain last, last Friday. Beautiful, gorgeous, warm day across the, the East Coast, um, especially here in Northern Virginia. We were in New York. Uh, we came back. It's like, it's like, what ha- what's happened here? And it looked like it was all of a sudden, but it wasn't. Over those two days, the rain, you know, nourished the ground. And then the, the brightness of the sun just brought out all those blooming leaves and petals of flowers all over the place. And to my kids, it was just a gradual thing that happened over, over three days. To us, it was just like, and that really is what personal growth and change is like in your life. And I would tell you, here's the thing. If you want to know if you're just modifying your behavior versus actually growing from the inside, ask those who are personally close to you. Ask your kids, ask your spouse, ask those who can who have to live with you and they will tell you, no, yeah, you're just patching that up. You're just being nice on the, in the moment because somebody's here. Uh, they, will, they will be able to tell you. Ask those who know you. So here's a question. Now I'm almost done. How do you change? How can we be free? How, how can we be transformed people that ultimately impact our community? Paul gives us a clue in verse 24. And we'll conclude we'll, we'll here. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. This, this is a very important verse for you as a Christian. Firstly, Paul is saying we belong to Jesus. If justification and sanctification have happened to you, this is a beautiful thing. It's you're accepted by God and Jesus, I mean, he's yours. You are his. God loves you, not because of what you do, but because of Jesus. This is the, this is the implication. You are as loved and accepted in God's eyes as Jesus is, who's perfect. And that really is a bold statement. You have Christ's righteousness and you're whole, as holy as Jesus is. But the second thing that Paul says is the thing that you got to get in regards to your change. Um, he says, those who belong to Jesus, they do something. What was that something? Say it out loud. They crucify the flesh. And of course, this is a take on Jesus and his crucifixion. Thank God we don't crucify people anymore because crucifixion is a brutal, murderous, long, painful, slow death. And this is a picture that Paul is giving us in regards to how change and transformation happens in our life. It's painful. It's symmetrical. It's internal. It's slow. He doesn't say stab, <laughs> stab your flesh. He doesn't say shoot it. He doesn't say, take, he doesn't say take a bow and arrow out and just like jab it in a tree. He doesn't say electrocute our flesh. He says crucify it. And you, and, and the, this, the, this is, uh, the Greek eris, um, eris indicative third person plural. If you want to know seminary training education right there. Past tense is something that's happened in the past and it's keeping on going. So you crucify your flesh and you crucify your flesh. And you crucify your flesh in perpetuity until until you die and go to heaven and you're with Jesus. True change doesn't happen by making up your mind not to do something wrong or tweaking your emotions to feel bad when you do something wrong or even setting your will to say no. These aren't lastingly helpful for you. It may modify you. It may modify your kids for a moment. But the next time you go to Walmart with your kids, they're still going to. There's there's they're not going to be good because you're not that way either. Change doesn't happen solely when you say when you make up your mind, your will and emotions that you're going to be good. You have to be, as Paul is saying here in this passage, you got to be led by the spirit and you have to let the spirit get into your affections and your motivations. And that's what power ups calls the heart. Your change comes from the heart. And that's the kind of people that God is trying to make us individually, but also as a church. We want to be a people who are changed at the very heart level. You don't just massage your flesh. You don't beat it up. You have to kill it. How do you kill it? Well, Paul doesn't tell us that in this passage. That's another sermon for another day. But he does help us to understand it a little bit. Verse 16 and 18, we aren't going to rehearse those. Go back and read them. 
I'll, I'll conclude with three questions. What is my flesh trying to get me to focus on for meaning, for my meaning and purpose? How do you understand what's going on in you in regards to the change that you want, but that you're not experiencing? Ask yourself these questions to understand your flesh. Secondly, what thing is my flesh trying to put before me so that I'm looking to it for the hope that I should only find in Jesus? And lastly, what is my flesh trying to get? What is my flesh trying to get me to find my identity in other than Jesus? Happy anniversary. Beloved Church of Jesus Christ. This is what God would have us to know today. We belong to Jesus. He said that in verse 24. You are his. He is yours. And I think as your pastor, but also as one of you, when we really get this, when we get this thing of justification and sanctification and the ongoing work of of God, that we have to be participants in it and the spirit, let the spirit do its work, then we're going to be able to to kill those things that that we shouldn't be so desirous and passionate of. And he's going to immobilize all those ways and all those things that we put above our worship of Jesus instead of him. And then as he's transforming our life, he's going to use us, even us, to transform the world. Let's pray. Lord, we are a grateful people for your church. We're grateful for Transit Church. And we are mostly grateful for your gospel. And today as we reflect and as we celebrate all that you're doing in our lives individually and what you're doing collectively through us as a church, we pause and say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. It really is all about you. Uh, Lord, help us to get the gospel. This is an an, an inexhaustible field that we will never know enough about and never be able to live out um, without your help. So help us understand um, just the process of our salvation. But more than that, Lord God, help us to understand just a little bit what you're doing in us to make us more like you. I pray today for those who are still trying to figure Jesus out, uh, that you by your spirit would open their eyes to who he is, that you would uh, bring them to a point where they see their sin and their um repentant of it and that you would bring them to faith, a saving faith, a justifying faith that gives them the spirit and begins that process of change, that they might be transformed people who are impacting their community, changing the world. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. It really is all about you. We pray this in your great name. Amen. And amen.